Welcome back to the Ask Different Podcast. This is episode number 26, recorded April 3rd, 2012. I'm Kyle Cronin. I'm Jason Zalas. I'm Nathan Greenstein. And we're back again. Uh, and Jason, you're back with us this time. I am back home. I am indeed. Where were you? Yeah. Uh, I, specifically, when you guys were recording, I think I was... Was I on the train? Was I was I Amtrak-ing it at that point? I'm I'm not quite sure. Um, you actually had a, pr- a pretty f- a fantastic journey. Um, <laughs> I, I heard things about you know chains on the tires of a bus. I mean, do you want to just and go a through window the- <laughs> almost falling off the door? Oh, good grief! Yeah. So um, you went to California for a few days. Um, yeah, a couple couple weekends ago. Um, a couple weekends ago, I went out to California. I was in the Bay Area for a couple of days, and then I have a bunch of friends out there, so some of them traveled up. Uh, one, one of them traveled up to San Francisco, and we went out for some fantastic chicken and waffles, and that's been, uh, that's been eight years in the making, and it was actually really nice to go back and have again. Uh, I, I think he said that it was... You might actually know a little bit about this, Kyle. Have you ever heard of a chicken and waffles place at least somewhere in the proximity of you? Me? Oh, no, I don't. Okay. As far as I understand, it's kind of a northeastern thing, although more like more Michigan and not east coast, like inside inside eastern U.S., but then there's uh, Roscoe's and a couple of other places in California. I know Michigan is east of you, but Michigan is considerably (laughs) west for me. (laughs) Fair enough. It's in the eastern U.S. That's that's enough for me. I've had this conversation before of what exactly east means to me, somebody that's only lived in the southwest his whole life. Um, yeah, I was, I was in the Bay Area for a couple of days. Uh, I was in downtown San Francisco. So St. Patrick's Day morning, I had a very rough uh, awakening at eight o'clock in the morning. Air horns, car horns, screaming, uh, not, not so much screaming as much as, you know, like yelling and cheering and uh, bagpipes. Uh, 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 Scottish bagpipes at an Irish festival, you know, whatever. Um, well, I think the uh, bagpipes are, are Irish too. You know, it's kind of a mixed uh, heritage thing. Um, I think you're crazy, but that's okay. Possibly, it's, it's, yeah. It's still it's still relevant. It, it's the, it's that European thing. You know, it's people people being outrageous in whatever way that's applicable to them. Uh, pretty interesting couple of days. Um, the as you alluded to at the start of it, I was actually kind of in a time crunch to get out there, and so I wound up taking Greyhound all the way out there because it was supposed to be, I was supposed to actually get in during the day during business hours on Friday, uh, and that wound up completely not being the case. Um, I left Thursday morning around ten o'clock my time, I believe, maybe eleven, and I showed up in downtown San Francisco at. 4.30 thereabouts, I think, on Friday afternoon. It was supposed to be 1.30 originally. Um, when we were leaving Reno, the the couple in front of me was talking about how uh, the Sierra Nevada mountains in between Nevada and California were getting some pretty significant snow. Bad weather was the name of the game going out on the bus because when we stopped in... Uh, God knows where Wyoming they had a they had it on some news channel that was talking about the tornadoes in uh, I think that was Michigan as well and there was they, they were they were having some pretty bad problems out there and then when we left Reno there was the snow in the the highest point that we had to drive through to get into California the the closest city is Truckee California and uh, yeah we we started making our way up the up the mountainside up the foothills. And snow started coming down. We didn't even get to the summit, and uh, 
the bus driver pulled off to the side and they threw chains on the tires as mandated by law out there. I just think it's, you know, oh, yeah, not a problem. We'll just throw some chains on there. <laughs> I mean, I, I've never been um, out by the Rocky Mountains, but, you know, I, I've seen photos of these these giant mountains with, you know, sometimes an incredible amount of snow on them. Yeah. And to them, you know, just driving through a blizzard. Oh, yeah, that's just, you know, that's that's what we do in the winter. <laughs> it was it was really interesting because. Um, I've actually, you know, I've, I've driven in the snow uh, a bit uh, immaturely in years past, but besides that, uh, I, I've driven in the snow, but never to that extent. Uh, the bus, like I said, they pulled over and they chained up uh, half of the tires, I think, and then they proceeded to climb the summit at like no more than 30 miles an hour. And it's just as tricky because there was a lot of other traffic on the road. So you have to you have to be cautious of all of the other truckers, any other buses, all of the, you know, the general car and truck traffic and all that kind of stuff. And uh, thankfully, I actually managed to just kind of fall back to sleep and not care about the majority of it. Yeah. So had and, you been to uh, California, San Francisco before? Not the Bay Area. I don't think I've ever actually been there. I've been to L.A. and SoCal in general a couple of times uh, back in back in 2004. I flew into Sacramento where a couple of my friends live. They host a podcast, a gaming podcast called Orange Lounge Radio. And so I was out there for uh, the the first weekend I was out there. I was out there for the show. We left the next morning for Los Angeles and we went to the uh, Final Fantasy Dear Friends concert. And that was the week of E3 back in 2004. And then I've been there for, I've been in SoCal for Disneyland and we've left on cruises from there. So California, yes. NorCal just once, SoCal a couple times, but I don't think I've ever actually been in the Bay Area before. So what was it like? Uh, it was kind of a zoo. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was it was pretty. It was nice. Uh, the fact that I, I'm not exactly a walking person, and I don't own a bike, but if I did, I would be on that more than anything. Otherwise, I would be driving somewhere, which I always do. Um, but being able to walk around everywhere and look at all those stores, I I admit it was quite nice. Um, the, and the parade was going on, so there was just a ton of people everywhere. There was a lot of Walgreens in a close proximity. That Walgreens and CVS that stood out to me pretty explicitly. There were either three or four in a, I don't know, a five-block radius of my hotel, something like that. It was, it was strange to me for some reason. And the fact that all the buildings, they're just so... They just have such old design, but they're so modern and they're so... They're so nice inside. Yeah, what's interesting about um, the sort of layout of, of a, a city where you're really you really have to walk around. It's it's very hard to drive. Is that you know a lot of um, a lot of the layout is is redundant because they don't they don't necessarily expect that you're going to get in your car and drive uh, 10, 15, 20 minutes to uh, a grocery store or a pharmacy or whatever. So they they pepper them around, you know, the, so that you'll have little um, markets every few um, blocks or whatever, um, as opposed to when you live uh, in less of an urban place, kind of like where I am, uh, where you, you just take your car pretty much everywhere, drive to the yep. supermarket, drive, drive, drive. Uh, and I imagine it's probably the same for you uh, where you live in Colorado, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. So I actually, you, you mentioned, I believe, was it? I don't know if it was it was on Twitter or something, but you actually walked around the Yerba Buena Center, right? Yeah, the whenever whenever I finally uh, ultimately had to leave the hotel room, whenever uh, 
I finally convinced myself to wake up and get out of the hotel by checkout time. Um, stored stored my baggage away in a in a safe place, and then I just started walking around my immediate vicinity. Um, as far as I understand, Market Street is one of the most major thoroughfares in downtown San Francisco. I was two blocks away. Uh, I was on Fourth Street, two blocks away from Market from Market Street. Um, from my hotel room, I looked out the window. First thing I see, Sony Metreon, huge store. Uh, I'm sorry, huge multi-level mall, which more than half of it was undergoing renovations. So it's actually kind of pathetic right now. Uh, but that is that is in the in the square that makes up the Sony Metreon, the Yerba Buena Center, and Moscone Center. So I headed into the Metreon to see what was there, and very quickly got disappointed. So I walked out back to their little their little walkabout city garden that they have there. They have a MLK Jr. Memorial and. Um, and, and obviously, I didn't actually go into Yerba Buena or Moscone. There was nothing going on, but it was it was very interesting to be right in the heart of these places that we've heard about, but never actually been to before. You know, we'd never been there for an event, uh, so there wasn't there wasn't like a, a droves of people outside waiting in line for any event or something like that. But it's it's very interesting to finally put it into physical uh, physical perspective by being right there. Yeah, it's um, you know, you, you see photos of of Apple's, you know, stuff going up at the Yerba Buena and people trying to um figure out exactly what the what the new stuff will be based on the pictures and the text that maybe they can sort of catch a glimpse of on the signs. Um we have something for you to see and back to the Mac and, and touch. All, all <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, see and touch, correct. And of course everyone is like, "Oh my god, touch. It's going to be haptic feedback and blah blah blah." <laughs> and then it's just it's just well, yeah. You're gonna touch an iPad, obviously. The, 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 <laughs> You've already been doing that. Go, the, go figure. The touching aspect was not changed, which is um, actually. Uh, should we should we talk about the iPad? I still have stuff to say about it. Yeah, and you guys got into it really quick, shortly after it was released, and now that now that all three of us here have had a quite a few more days to actually get used to it, sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, speaking of touch specifically. Um, one of the things that they could have done uh, was to make the um, the screen pressure sensitive. Uh, I remember when they announced their um, GarageBand app for the iPad, um, they actually had to uh, use the, I think, accelerometer or something yep. to, to um, measure the impact for like the drums and whatnot. Exactly. So, or they like the piano keys where, you know, you hit them softly and it's supposed to play softly or you hit them loudly and it's supposed to play loudly. Um, and it, it usually works well, but it doesn't always work a hundred percent of the time. And that is something that they could have done, I suppose. Um, you know, some of the, some of the Wacom tablets that have a pen, pen and touch where it can distinguish automatically, and it's pressure sensitive. I don't know if the touch part is, but the pen part certainly is. Some of those are fairly compelling just for any kind of um, any kind of drawing or painting app, as well as any other music or any or anything else where you could you could just have another gesture, a hard tap or something. You mean like basically with being able to scale the brush size, for example, whenever you really start pushing down into it and whatnot. Yeah, brush size or opacity or uh, grade eight between two colors whatever mm. and that's something that, it's funny that i know this more based off of windows laptops and that 
ultra annoying touchpad icon in the uh, in the taskbar. Oh yeah. But there's actually a lot of possibility in my mind for the iPad to be able to measure this kind of thing based off the amount of touch that it gets because I think that it can distinguish the fact that when you really mash your whole finger into the thing versus just placing it on the screen and starting to trace. It it yeah. I have to think with the design of the of the capacitive system that it can see a, a big blotch of your finger yeah. versus just the tip well, and the in, curve. In the iBooks app, if you're reading something that's not a PDF, the page curl animation actually responds to the direction that your finger is pointing. So you can start the page curl and then tilt your finger to the left and the yeah, page you will can, curl to the left and tilt it to the right. It'll curl to the right. You can peel I've never actually the corner seen. or the whole page evenly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and it'll respond to even the direction your finger is facing. And so, and I've actually never seen anything like that in other apps. Yeah, it's it's all based though on uh, just how much uh, <laughs> flesh or meat, whatever, on your finger you've sort of smushed up against the screen. Um, sure. There are actually um, some apps for the the Mac that enable you to take better advantage of the trackpad and, and additional gestures and stuff, um, and some of them have sort of a view of exactly what you see on the trackpad. And, you know, if you, if you sort of put your finger on there, you can see an oval approximately uh, indicating the size and sort of positioning of exactly where uh, the, the, your fingers actually making contact with the trackpad. So they do have that information. Um, but it, it, I think it would have been better if they could have had uh, some pressure sensitivity as well. Uh, I, I know that there are, I don't know if there are any right now. I think there are um, some Bluetooth styli um, that actually have a pressure, pressure sensitive um, thing in the tip of them. And that you can use those with uh, compatible drawing apps um, uh, to get the, the effective pressure sensitivity. But obviously that's, um, you know, you, you got to buy a separate thing. You need to connect it with Bluetooth and all of that. And uh, special know. apps, not just any like generic canvas, generic canvas based app. Right, and you got things like, and it 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 obviously increases the cost of the thing. You got to put a battery in it. Um, whereas um, if Apple just increased the pressures, if they added pressure sensitivity to the screen, uh, then that could all be done natively. And, um, and you could just use simple or rather simpler implements, uh, to do that. And with, uh, more and more gesture control apps showing up with uh, clear and paper and I don't know, probably missing others, but it, it's just the opportunity for other gestures. Like, uh, you could have a tap or you could have a tap with the side of your finger or with a, you know, a harder tap, yeah. you, could, you can just you get a lot more flexibility for. And this question for, keeps coming up on Ask Different, but it, it, it actually came up the other day, which is why I'm thinking of it. Uh, someone asked, so how do you do a hover in uh, Safari? And the answer is, well, you can't. You know, the Safari only really knows whether or not you put your finger down or up. Um, so there's no real way to sort of hover. But I imagine if you had pressure sensitivity, um, if you were pushing very lightly or if you, you had your finger just resting on something, you could um, you could register that as a hover. And then, you know, if they want to actually click on it, they just push it a little harder. And I think that that's, that's, that would be very natural and very intuitive for people to do. Um, and it would enable the, the functionality um, uh, in Safari and other apps that want to add kind of like a, like a hover kind of capability. I think that's a good wish, but... In practice, I, I I don't think I've ever 
noticeably brush the iPad that softly, even when I'm scrolling. Like there's, I, I can think of at least a couple of examples on when I've inadvertently actually hit something because I'm scrolling and when I reset my finger position, I accidentally get it too close to the screen and it does do that. But even then, that's not a brush. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that the glass is right there, but the display is oh so subtly recessed. So you you miss just that, that fine-grained uh, positioning of your finger, how far away it is from the screen. You're just the slightest bit deceived. But I can't imagine that in the general sense that that ultimately makes sense. And it'd be, uh, I, I think I've said this a couple times on the show before, and it's very relevant. That would be a wonderful thing for us, for compatibility. For anybody else, no way. For, for the commoners and the people that you know are, are making Apple what it is today, I cannot honestly agree with that. You know, if you're if you're using iPhone apps or even a dec- any any kind of a website with a decent mobile interface, you don't need it. Well, there are there is occasionally some information presented um, on Hover. Like um, I read the Comic XKCD, and they always have a little subtle joke uh, in the Hover. And so, yep. if I'm reading XKCD on my iPad or my iPhone. Um, and I want to read that, that joke, I have to go into the XKCD forums where someone has transcribed it. Uh, well, I- that's that's an example of a good mobile interface. If you go to m.xkcd.com, you can just tap on the comic and it'll show the alt text. I did not know that, but uh-huh. it still doesn't change the fact that it's not in their RSS feed. In the RSS feed... Yes, um, it, it should be in the RSS feed. Yeah. Um, Do you use XKCD with Reader? Yeah. yeah. Uh, open Reader. Right go now. to an XKCD comic. Yeah, you take take notes, do it later, or sure, right now, or why not? Open reader, open XKCD, and actually go to a specific comic. And you know how there's the expand to full screen the uh, the the image. Yeah. Do that, and then just tap once on the screen. I actually turned my iPhone off. So, <laughs> Nathan, do you have yours available? Or why no, I've got my. I've it's got my it's not going to make good video, but th- this is th- this. Th- it's not going to make any video because we don't release video. This is what happens: you go in a reader, you go into a specific strip, you expand on the comic itself, and it it removes all of the Chrome black background, just the comic strip in the foreground. And when you just tap on the screen, um, you get a little dialogue that has the essentially the alt text with the, with regard to the specific RSS element that it's stored in, you get the alt text in the box at the bottom and the close. And I think it's like add to add to readability or some other button down there that I've never actually used, but huh. it is in the RSS and you can bring it up with reader. And I was cool. going to suggest between that and an actual XKCD app, if such a thing exists, that's the way you do it. You make it more obvious for the medium. You don't just, jam what we've been doing for the past 10 years into it admittedly um yes i am kind of looking for something to better support stuff that currently exists and yes there are there are ways of doing the same thing better for the specific devices um but it, it came up um a few days ago because the contest page for the ask different ipad contest would tell you when someone achieved a specific level when you hovered over their icon um and when they were quoting the page i guess they didn't consider that for an apple site a lot of people would want to look at that page on on an ios device um or they they didn't consider that specific piece of information uh valuable enough or uh, they didn't think that people would want to 
would would miss the fact that they couldn't access that piece of information on a mobile device. I don't know. Um, but it was, you know, it did come up. There were, there were people that were wondering how to do it. And the, the answer was just, you can't. And that's actually, that's actually pretty similar to the, the extent of Stack Exchange's mobile interface for chat is the fact that you can't, you can't selectively reply to something because even though they have touch events on specific messages, it doesn't call up reply options or anything like that. So you can't flag in chat, you can't reply in chat, you can't even star in chat by, by extension because what, what is a hover element on the, on the fully fledged on the desktop version just wasn't, uh, wasn't echoed in any way in the mobile interface that they designed for chat. Well, I think that's a little bit different because they actually did design a mobile interface. So um, they're already somewhat committed to making it work on a mobile device. Um, not all the way. But not all the way. So yeah. uh, in that case, I think that the it, if you're already designing it for, for a specific device or set of devices, um, you should really do your best to make it work uh, as fully as possible, supporting as many features as possible. Um and and if you if you don't then that's you know that's a decision you made when designing the thing um but for something simple where you, you know the information is available uh, on the page if if only you could hover and you can't do that um and and there there if they added pressure sensitivity or something like that some other dimension uh other than just simply tapping on the screen or, or having multiple touch points on the screen um i think that it would just it would provide a way for people that want to access that functionality to have a way to without adding any additional UI or um, overriding um, existing uh, gestures. Mm-hmm. One it could be, one last side note that's interesting about all this is that there's a site that I go to um, that has they when when you hover over a file on uh on a desktop with a standard browser um when you hover over a file download link it pops up a bunch of information like if it's a video it'll show you the runtime the codec it always shows you the size of the file it always shows you the file name um but if i go to the same site on my ipad when i tap it the first time it actually invokes that tooltip and this is probably something javascript based and something that's just kind of a kind of an edge case of the particular action. Uh, and it actually t- forces you to tap twice on the item with quite a bit of delay in the middle in order to actually download it and proceed to, to view the actual media, which is, well, for one half, it's frustrating because you don't double tap anything in iOS. Uh, but it's very interesting that something that I thought was purely bound to hover comes up when when it has a when it has a click event when it receives a click event that's actually uh, a good point um it's uh, i don't think that um the the tool tips would ever appear on ios but it, yeah if something does respond to a hover but not a click i think that if you tap it it is though you're it is as though you're hovering over it mm-hmm. um but if it is a link obviously it'll just act as a link um so Jason, you actually you you have the new iPad. I mean, Nathan and I talked about it on the last show. I just sort of want to get your high level overall take on it. What do you think of it? Well, coming from the original generation, the first one, um, I really love how light it is. 
this is actually quite a bit irresponsible and i knew this at the time that i was making a big deal out of it but when i was walking up the stairs i had my finger and uh, thumb on the just like one of the corners just on the bezel and the back of the back of the device and i was having no problems carrying it and keeping it free from like you know accidentally hitting into the wall or something like that so even even that it even though it's slightly bigger and slightly heavier than the two, the fact that they shaved so much off from the first version it just is a huge deal to me. I cannot believe how light this is and how much more has been packed into it, notably the battery. Um, having said that, because of how large the battery is now, it's very dramatic how long it takes to recharge given you know similar periods of time um it was i charged it overnight it was 100 percent this morning i was streaming music all morning um uh i i played music this morning and i streamed a local radio station this morning as well and that cut it uh, cut my battery down to i think it was the high 70s and in the time that we were prepping up and doing the show i'm only back up to 87 i would probably be fully charged now with any other device yeah, it, it it has a great battery life, um, but man, if you if you drain that, it's gonna take forever to charge. It's like just leave it overnight. <laughs> yeah, and, and and ultimately, I'm fine with that though. I actually have no problems whatsoever with the fact that it takes that long to recharge because, um, it does last me a day easily, a day, and I can just charge it overnight. I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, it it still holds up exactly as long as I would expect to. So per- I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, it's nice to have cameras on the device. It is definitely something else to stare at a photo frame when you take a picture practically. Let's see. What else do I have sitting around here? Um, it's, it's interesting for the couple of apps that I have that are still iPhone only. It's very interesting that they still, uh, since they still have the one X, two X indicator at the bottom, it's awesome that they all got an upgrade because they use the iPhone retina display graphics now. I think that it's 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 annoying that the iPad 2 doesn't display um iPhone retina graphics when it's on 2x. Maybe that's just because it, it, there there isn't really a mechanism to redraw something in retina once you like on demand. Um but I think that that would have been um uh, nice because the iPad 2 is capable of displaying um a full retina size uh screenshot or whatever from um an iphone um, right but yeah it is nice that the uh the the new ipad um did update and and you are able to display uh retina iphone apps as well um you know in the one x two x yeah i'm i'm in another because i now have a ipad with a camera in it i'm back in a situation where um like i recommended rin some time ago the the post only twitter app uh, I have a app on my iPad, uh, both iOS devices, actually, iPhone and iPod, called InstaTweet. And the whole point of it is that you start it up, it, re- it starts up within a second, and then you just tap on the button and start typing whatever you want. Um, I had to get rid of, what was it called, QStatus, because if it if you upgraded and it saved your information, you were fine. This was around the time, uh, shortly after iOS 5 came out. If it still had your account information, it would work fine, uh, but it was broken in iOS 5 in that you couldn't add any new account. So as soon as I 
Um, I don't remember exactly what I did, but whenever I had to restore my iPhone, whenever I came back to it, I could no longer use QStatus anymore. So I found InstaTweet, which essentially just hooks into iOS 5's built-in Twitter options. And when the uh, when iOS 5 came out, they said the next update of this app will give you the ability to post pictures uh, using the iPad version. And that update has never come out yet. So I'm going to look and see if anybody else has made a quick twit, uh, quick Twitter app because I now have an iPad with a camera in it that I can't take advantage of. You can always use TweetBot. That's kind of the gold standard. That's what I use. Yeah, but the the whole point is getting something out there quickly and not having to sit there and wait while it loads in your timeline and your direct messages and your mentions and anything else that it wants to do in advance. I think you, can, tw- you can tweet as it's loading in the background. Mm-hmm. But it it's But you don't even want to look at that. You don't even want to think right. about that. I, I don't I don't want to be tempted to get lost in it. Ah. Which happens very, very easily with something like Twitter. Yeah, it's it's really weird that you use Twitter as kind of a write only uh service right now. The fact yeah. that you know uh you may be following me on Twitter, but I know you're not seeing anything that I'm tweeting. Yeah. And I, I know that because earlier today I tweeted something and Nathan and I were talking about it. And then you're like, wait, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> I was actually on Twitter quite a bit last night. And it was one of those situations where I was just talking to a lot of people. And <laughs> of course, I wasn't just on Twitter. I was also on IRC, on Facebook. Um, emails were coming in and it was one of those things where everybody was getting in touch with me and I was on many different mediums but Twitter was by far the easiest because of how concise contained and low friction it is by comparison yeah but yeah I InstaTweet really needs to update so that I can take a picture in app and use it immediately otherwise if, if that's not out by the time i find another app to replace it um it's going to be replaced it's going to be gone from from my devices well, well uh, at least my ipad it'll still be on my iphone because actually there. why can't you just um use the the share to twitter in the um in the camera roll because i didn't consider that okay <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's one of those things where I can I can do that and would do that if I was ever in a situation too. I completely admit that that hasn't happened yet. And usually, I usually grab my phone much quicker because it's something that I'm out and about. I'm not sitting there and it's like, oh, I'm going to pull my iPad and take the, a picture of this, which is a completely unnatural response to me. It is not anywhere close to being ingrained in my head yet. Um, so I'll, I'll sooner use my phone, which that version of InstaTweet will allow me to do it. But if I happen to have my iPad in my hands and want to take a picture of something and post it immediately, the first thing I'm going to do is going to go to InstaTweet, and then I'm going to get pissed off and close it and go to the camera and go from there. Um, oh, Jason, speak- you ha- you have it so hard. <laughs> <laughs> first world problems is the meme of today, isn't it? No kidding. Uh, so... Um, Related to the camera, I'm pretty interested in the fact that the quick camera, uh, the the quick camera features at the lock screen actually don't exist on the iPad at all. Not even in the original iOS five version where you double tap the home button at the lock screen to get the camera icon, nor the version in five one where you just throw the, the throw the screen upwards and immediately jump to the camera. Yeah, it's pretty I, interesting that that doesn't exist. 
I, I presume they just assume that many people aren't whipping iPads out of their pockets to take pictures. But, you know, honestly, I would rather have a button to access the camera than the stupid the uh, photo slideshow. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I never use that. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier that uh, you you were able to carry the iPad without it banging into the walls, which is always good. <laughs> Do you feel odd carrying it by itself? I kind of feel like it's 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 obviously too large to fit in my pocket, but it's also not large enough that I can comfortably sort of like heft it. You know, I got to, it's basically sticking in the palm of my hand and I'm just sort of like, you know, holding it to the side. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely know I didn't buy it with any accessories, any smart cover, anything like that. So I know that I want to have some kind of a case. Uh, and I've been fighting with myself on whether or not that includes the back because famously the smart covers just magnetize on top. Um, it it is odd because you have that reflex of don't touch the screen don't touch the screen um but if that's not actively in my mind then it no it's not a very big deal to me i'll i'll briefcase it or i'll just kind of have it uh tucked underneath my arm and it'll just be you know resting against my side um carrying it is not awkward but it also hasn't been for like a long distance. So convenience hasn't been an issue. It's just been from one room to another. Yeah. Or you could like, you know, if you're, if you're carrying it with other things, you can almost use it like a, like a drinks tray, you know, <laughs> stick other things on top of that and carry it around. <laughs> That's worse than the, 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 the inclination to not touch the screen, but other things on it. Are you crazy? Oh I do that with goodness. my laptop all the time. Oh my gosh. There were years, yeah, years where I would go and I would just, you know, every day for lunch, I would just load up, <laughs> Um, and and just you know put whatever I wanted on my laptop and use it as a tray. <laughs> One of the it's reasons not just I a like computer, my computer, it's a lunch tray too. <laughs> exactly. Nice. One of the reasons I like my plastic MacBook is that I don't have to think about getting the case scratched or anything because it's the black plastic one, so it doesn't show scratches yeah exactly that's the one i was using yeah Uh, but wait there's more (laughs) if you fire up a flash app you can even cook your food on it too (laughs) or on the black uh, on the plastic ones you don't even need a flash app you need to like use two apps at once and then it (laughs) well i actually i found that the black my black plastic one um does tend to get hot uh, hotter than my my new macbook pro um i just suspect that it's probably due to I don't know, dust accumulation over time or something in there that's making yeah, that's the fans possible. not as efficient. Um, I know there are ways of cleaning it, but right now it's not really been a, a high priority for me. Um, and speaking because of cook, your cooking food, you know, I've heard, I, I, I heard that the new iPad can get so hot you could fry an egg on the back if you're playing like Infinity Blade too. <laughs> that's one of those things that my first inclination is to is to just cast it aside and that you guys are just freaking crazy. But at the same time, I I don't actually use something that particularly intensive with it anymore. Um, I do I even have any games on here right now? I have two games on my iPad at the moment. Oh, I, I'm a liar. I have five games on there at the moment. Oh, I yeah yeah. I still have all of the with friends series because a bunch of my friends Android and iOS use it. So on my front page, I have hanging with friends, words with friends, and uh, scramble with friends. And then on page two, I have Angry Bird Space because I wanted to check it out, and Jetpack Joyride. There's no, there's no free version of Angry Bird Space, is there? No. You see, that's I was like, nope, no free version. I'm not even gonna because I'm all Angry Bird. Angry Bird out. Space is actually kind of a joke. Um, is it? Because you have 
you have uh, two actual worlds at the moment. They're supposed to be adding more whenever it updates again. Uh, you have two worlds that you have levels in, and they have the danger zone, which you can purchase for another... I think it was like another one ninety nine. So in order to actually get all of the game as it stands right now, you actually have to pay three bucks in general. Oh no, three dollars. But yeah, yeah, they've they've broken with pace of their three other titles, and you have to pay to get in, in the first place, and then pay even more to get the, the ridiculously hard levels. Admittedly, yeah. I mean, Angry Birds. It was fun for a while, um, but the the levels got to a point where. Uh, I didn't want to spend the time to actually play them because a lot of times it's just luck, you know. Oh, is this brick going to fall left or right or whatever? Um, and I just, I, I, I like that they kept adding stuff, adding levels, but also I noticed that they, they added like, if you pause, for example, there, even if you have the paid version, there's ads in that, in, 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 in uh, the program um for their other stuff. And I didn't really like that at all. So like their plush, their plush toys and whatnot. Yeah, it's just I, I, I Rovio must be making a killing um, because they're just all these all these things to buy. Um, but the the only money I've ever spent on Angry Birds is um, I think the ninety nine cents for the game, and then I also bought the um, Mighty Eagle when that came out. I haven't even done that. Oh, that that when that update came out, that actually kind of pissed me off. Why? Because you could skip levels. Yeah, it's it's classic DLC. Hey, if you suck at the game, or if you, I, if they, if I, I shouldn't they... I shouldn't frame it that way, but it is very annoying that people that just feel like blowing money can do it just for the sake of doing it. If they really wanted to get rich, they they should have sold like Mighty Eagle packs, where you know for for ninety nine cents you could um, get through like five levels, and then you if you wanted to get through you know ten levels, you have to pay like you know. Two ninety nine or I don't know, just whatever. Um, but they they could have easily made it kind of a, a per use thing. <laughs> and made a kill. Like, wasn't wasn't it for a while? I thought when it first came out, you it was ninety nine cents per use and the, one use only. And then in the future, they it was ultimately just an unlock that you could use. You could you could still only use one per once per day, once per twenty four hours, but you didn't have to pay for it each time. I thought I thought there was a change in there like that. I I think I think because uh, I I think I remember buying the Mighty Eagle um, right around the time that it came out, um, and uh, it was it was a one time thing. So now so tiny, tiny Tower, <laughs> you got to yeah. buy those coins or dollars Temple or whatever. Mm, so returning tower. to the heat thing for a second, the the game I play that warms up the iPad a little bit is the. Uh, air supremacy or something the one that they demoed to show off the graphics processor and it's um it's fairly graphics intensive and it does get warm but nowhere near as warm as the back of an iMac or the bottom of my plastic MacBook both of those things get way 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 warmer i actually it's, it's had just a, a go ahead oh, yeah the, the ipad heating up is just not at all an issue as hot as i've ever felt it get i i can i can press it against my face and it's not at all uncomfortable <laughs> interesting metric <laughs> well i mean i figure i figure what, if it, what if other it parts of nice your body warm, can you press then, it up against nathan <laughs> well I, I figure if i can press it up against my face and it feels nice and warm and kind of relaxing then it's fine but then if it's something like the macbook i've not tried to press the macbook against my face but even just <laughs> even just my hands it's uncomfortable to leave my hands on the top of the mac the, 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 the imac sorry 
it's uncomfortable to leave my hands on the top of the iMac for more than a couple seconds if it's been working hard. Yeah, I, I definitely know. I definitely know what you mean as far as just how much heat comes out of those vents because uh, I was actually running into an iTunes bug in the past couple of days. It was perpetual. iTunes Match was perpetually trying to upload something that for the last uh, oh when did it come out October so for the last six months or so. Uh, should be ineligible, has been ineligible, and hasn't been updating. Uh, and it was whenever whenever I would start doing something, walk away, come back to the computer, I would hear the fans working full tilt, uh, open activity monitor, and I see that iTunes is using 200% CPU. So it was it was stuck in a hard loop somewhere. And, and you touch you touch your hands at the top of the iMac, and it's it is certainly not comfortable. It's certainly you know it's not gonna it's not gonna burn you, but it's not you're not gonna leave your hand there because it just doesn't feel pleasant. And I've not. Although I've I do got, think I've we need to get a picture of you holding your MacBook up to your face. I would like to see that as well. <laughs> All right, I'll do one with the iMac pillow, and then like a pillow or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you could hold the iMac up to your face. Yeah, I can. <laughs> Those things are heavy. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, um, they are. So speaking of updates, um, did you guys see the article uh, by Will Shipley about uh, App Store upgrade pricing? Mm-hmm. What are your What are your thoughts on that? Not the first makes... time we've heard it, and not not going to be the last. See, I'm and... I'm of mixed opinion of the about this, but I think Nathan has something to say. What do I? <laughs> um, <laughs> well. <laughs> You seem you sounded like you were going to say something, but apparently, oh, nothing of particular okay. value. I'm sure. Well, so um, there are basically two ways of looking at this. Uh, the first is it's the the way that developers typically would look at it, where you know they have an existing product and then they you know they spend a lot of time and a lot of effort you know updating the product and making it better you know, overhauling a bunch of stuff and coming out with a, you know, a new version number. Um, and then they say, well, you know, we have a lot of customers that, you know, valued customers, um, and we want to have a special deal for them. We want to, we want to make it so that they can upgrade without having to pay the full price again. Uh, so to them, it's kind of like, you know, let us do this special thing for people that have already bought our app. Uh, the other way of looking at this is the the point of view of someone that's bought the app. You know, you you buy the app, you don't even really even pay attention to the development cycle, and then I don't know, a few months later, you know, version X plus one comes out, um, and then suddenly the developer wants to charge you again for buying this app that you've already bought, uh, and so I think that um, it's. So the the app store is sort of based on the principle of you either have the app or you don't. Um, and when you buy the app, you have the app, and whatever upgrades uh, come to the app for for in perpetuity. Um, and I think that that's a very simple model. It's a very easy to understand. Whereas, um, you know, if you're worried about which version you have, it's like, well, you know, do I have the latest version? Is it compatible with these other things? Um, you know, if I don't upgrade, are they going to provide security fixes to the, the version that I have? Um, and so it becomes this huge mess when instead of a linear track of um, the versions of a product of a, a, a software program over time, you kind of have this this forking tree where you know they'll they'll provide you know bug fixes and security updates for older versions, but all the new product development happens on the new version. And you know, as someone that's bought a few relatively expensive apps in the Mac App Store, you know, I 
I'm not particularly thrilled at the idea of constantly being charged for updates, uh, especially if, if it if it's as easy as it is to buy apps in the Mac App Store or to um, do in-app purchases on iOS devices, because I could see that a lot of developers would want to do that. It's like, oh, well, we just added Retina support for this whatever, you know, Pay pay a few bucks to for the retina support, and you know if you don't, then that's basically end of life for that certain product for you. Um, well, I think I think it's important to distinguish between dot releases. Like I would consider a retina update almost like a bug fix. It's it's not a new feature. It's not a a new version. It's just we're moving along to keep up with the hardware. And so I think it's important to distinguish between a new version of a big app. Like I think the biggest app I've bought on the Mac app store is Coda and Coda twos due out fairly soon. And I would not at all mind paying for an update if, if it's what it takes to keep them developing it. And for, for big apps like that, one of the points that is argued is that developers need to make some money off of it. Otherwise they can't, they can't afford to, to write it or so they'll abandon the app and write something new. And it's worth it to me to pay for an update to an app that I use as much as I use Coda, simply because I would like to see features added to the app. Not to, not to say that every little dot release should be charged for. And right. I think, and, I think and, if people tried to do that, customers would not pay for it. They would just... Yeah, um, I guess, you know, it, obviously the more reputable developers would... Um, would only really charge you if you know if it's a substantial release and stuff, and that they would continue to support older versions, assuming Apple lets them for uh, a longer period of time. Um, I don't know. It's just um, well, if you look at if you look at the reviews on the App Store for there are some kind of shady apps that are supposedly free. But then you get the app, and to actually do anything, you have to pay with an in-app purchase or oh, multiple yeah. in-app purchases. The reviews those. are always awful. They're always one-star apps. And so I feel, I feel like if developers started doing the, the if, 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 I feel like if developers started charging for minor dot releases that people didn't feel like were worth paying for, then they would get bad reviews. And it's the same same reason that you don't see a lot of popular apps that are free and then in-app purchase to unlock just because no one likes them. And so I think, and, and it's only the shady apps that do that. So I think that developers would see that if you want to make an app that people like and that people give positive reviews and that's popular, then you can't, you can't charge for silly dot releases. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm sort of extrapolating, you know, into the future where, you know, I get a, a brand new Mac with the latest version, and then I go into the App Store and and it says, "Oh, I'm sorry, all these apps that you paid for are no longer compatible with this version of uh, of OS 10 or whatever." Um, and it's like, "Well, but you can upgrade them for three hundred dollars." So, so look at the software market up to here. When back when people were selling box software, or back when software was sold. Uh, by by download, but for, not through some central channel like the App Store. You you know you pay for a new version of Photoshop, yes, but you don't pay for a dot release just because no one would pay for it. And is there such or, thing as a Photoshop dot release? Yeah, one or two before the new suite <laughs> comes out. Yeah, but, Adobe I mean, is like the worst for this. Yeah, so the okay, better, that example. The better but, Adobe but, example might be Adobe Reader, the the uh, sure. Adobe Reader Pro. 
Sure. You get that's that's more frequently updated, mainly for all the horrible security <laughs> stuff. Wait, there's there's an Adobe Reader? It, no, I Adobe Acrobat? Acrobat Pro, same. Okay. But sorry, same, yeah, that. Same deal. Yeah. And so it's it's just kind of developers know that they can't charge for that stuff, so they don't. And it's worked out for years and years. And you're right that it's a different crowd who buys games on the App Store than a crowd that buys uh, Acrobat Pro. But I feel like the the potential benefits being that developers will release updates to their apps instead of leaving and writing something new is greater than the possibility that developers will start charging for every little thing. At least in apps that I use or care about. This is the same kind of famous Apple split about if it's um, if it's better for consumers or better for developers or what have you, and I'm 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 right in the middle of it, and I'm honestly not sure how exactly I feel about this. Um, isn't Tweety pretty famous because its three major iterations were all new apps that you had to rebuy in the uh, iOS App Store? It's actually before my time. I didn't use it before it was. Um bought by twitter um but yeah i remember there was a tweety and then a tweety two um yeah maybe just two and not three but that's that's the thing is that people have worked around this issue by putting you in a in a position where you absolutely have to pay again um and i do support the fact that major major overhauls of work need to be need to be paid for again and there is no other means than by paying for the the particular work itself i mean you can that this is why people do donations but for something like panic for example on coda 2 donations aren't gonna cut it i don't even think they accept donations um so i i definitely i definitely understand a major you know a, a major work asking to be paid for again and i think the only answer for doing that is to release it as a brand new app on the app store uh, because putting allowing allowing the developer, the business, the whoever to decide when a version number is going to bump and when they're going to ask you for money again is going to lead to a lot of pissed off customers because developers are are more more likely business people are making stupid decisions on what um what constitutes a major feature that they need to get paid for again. It just occurs to me that there's actually a third option here, and I believe it's something that Adobe does um but i don't think many other places do um is leasing the software so um instead of paying like a huge upfront cost um you pay a certain amount you know either per month per year whatever um and then you're allowed continuous access to the software and then you you automatically have the latest version so there's no there's no real need to say, well, you know, I bought Photoshop 6 and now I need Photoshop 8 to do this, you know, cool little filter thingy or whatever I need to do. Um, you just always have the latest version if you're always paying Adobe. Um, and this is great because uh, instead of you know, having to deal with one-time purchases um, and varying revenue streams and stuff, it's very easy for a company to you know, plan on that kind of revenue. And, and they're constantly getting revenue coming in every month um, to continue to work on new stuff. And if, if people think it's no longer worth, um, you know, continuing to use, or if they think that, you know, they'll get better updates with another software product, they can switch. And so um, 
I, I wonder if we'll see that kind of uh, model where, um, you know, you can almost kind of like a Spotify kind of thing where instead of uh, paying for individual songs, paying for individual apps, uh, you you know, you're able to um, rent, into, you know, certain apps or packs of apps or whatever. Um, and and you wouldn't get the kind of fragmentation that you get um, and, and developers get their money. What do you guys think? Oh, Kyle, you're so sassy. What? The joke being SAAS, Software as a Service, the, the big principle of the last, I don't know, three years maybe? Software as a Service instead of paying as a, a purchasable good. Okay, the joke went right over your head. Right. That's okay. Yeah, that's... Your 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 argument is software as a service, which has been very which has been very prominent, especially with the rise of mobile. Um, and I I cannot see myself paying regularly for. I, I I know you didn't say that if I stop paying, I stop using the app. You you said if I stop paying, I stop getting updates to the app. Well, I, I, I mean I mean actually you you lose access to the app but i, oh, I suppose okay. it, We're it, could, it could work both ways actually I, I didn't think of that but yeah i cannot possibly fathom myself continuing to pay for an app i and the one example that i'll point to is on live do you know what that is no on live is a game streaming service they were making they were making some pretty big waves. I don't think they've even brought their hardware out. But basically, last I knew, I haven't I haven't touched it in I think like a year. So my my facts may be a little bit out of date. Um, On Live itself is a service. You, um, I know they were letting people in for free for a while. But as far as I understand, they were going to have a a minimal monthly fee. I think they were talking about like five bucks a month, something like that, that gets you on to the on live service. And the on live service lets you do things like chat with people, uh, spectate on games and whatnot. But the kicker and the thing that really killed it for me with on live is that you had to pay full price for games. Um, you could, you could play a, a demo, so to speak of the game, which is just, you get to play for 30 minutes and nowadays with games with their ridiculously long intros, if you can't skip them, then you're not going to have 30 minutes of playtime. Uh, at any rate, um, you you can play any game on, on live for 30 minutes at a time with no ability to save. So you'll be starting over every time. But you also have to pay either, uh, let's see, they had like they had like a 5-day pass and a 30-day pass to let you play a game uh, essentially a rental period or you could straight up pay full price for the full game and have it at all times um on live just in a nutshell what it is is they have a a render farm that you send you you basically just get a stream of video of the game to your computer and of course you send mouse joystick keyboard events back uh, and they do some magic and they make it minimize latency as small as possible so on and so forth but I never, ever paid for a game on that service, and I can't see myself doing it because if I'm going to pay full price for something, like if I if I was if I was a heavier gamer, uh, being able to buy these like five day pass, thirty day passes for things I want to try out, not such a bad idea. I mean, that's the staple that Netflix is built on, uh, as far as physical DVD rentals come with. Um, GameFly does the same kind of thing. You you rent game media. Um, but with OnLive, because there's a barrier to entry that you would have to continue to pay for the service, I, if I use the passes, I would never pay full price to own a game 
that I would not have access to if I stopped paying for OnLive. I, that's actually that's that's a valid uh, position to take, um, and I'm not saying that you know there necessarily should be going either or, um, <clears throat> but I actually think that um, you mentioned trying out the games. I think that that's actually a really interesting idea where there might be um, an expensive app that you want to try out, um, but you don't you know you you want to you want to try AutoCAD. 2013. Well, it's $900 in the Mac App Store. <laughs> I'm not going to spend $900 to say, well, maybe this will be kind of fun to play with or maybe this will be useful, you know. But, you know, if it's if they want to charge you say $10 a month, $20 a month, you could say, well, all right, you know, I'll spend $10 to check out this app and then if, you know, if I don't want to continue using it, I'll just cancel the subscription. Or, I mean, they, Apple could build in the capability of like, oh, your first month's free, whatever, whatever app, you know, if it's as long as it's not a game or whatever, you know, um, they could have a built in trial period that's built into the, um, the, uh, the rental, uh, leasing kind of thing. Um, now I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that this is a fantastic idea. I'm just sort of presenting the benefits to doing it. Um, so, you, you touched on this a second ago. The reason that anyone rents software from Adobe is because it's so expensive. If you want Photoshop Extended, it's $1,000 per license. That is a ton of money, more money than pretty much anything on the iOS App Store. And uh, probably anything, as far as I know. And so, so a company that wants to get a bulk license, or even just one person who wants to try it out, is willing to do it because the initial price is so high. But for... The, the typical iPhone or the typical Mac App Store app, the prices are less than 20 bucks. 20 bucks is getting up there. And for that kind of thing, it seems really unlikely that anyone is going to bother to rent it. The hassle just isn't worth just buying it for, for five bucks or however much it actually costs. Especially since if you actually decide you like it, you would presumably have to pay full price again. And it's it's just not worth it for small apps. Now, I can see... If an app is over a certain amount of money, you know, maybe say $100 or more, then you could rent it or you could have built-in trials like the Windows 8 App Store does or even even something like maybe just enabling the paid upgrade stuff for apps over $100 or something like that could be beneficial. But I think a lot of this is kind of separating out the two categories of apps, little impulse buy apps where none of this is worth the overhead or like a really big... Yeah, exactly or a really big app that is a serious consideration to purchase and this could be beneficial. One one also another benefit to having a a recurring subscription kind of payment uh in an app is that um that would help support um an extended service behind the app. You know, instead of you just getting the app, for example, like Jason, you mentioned that this uh, on live thing, uh, it's actually a service. You're connecting to a server and that's what's playing the game and it's sending Correct. the uh, feedback to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, an app like Instapaper, for example, has a huge uh, server side backend to maintain uh, all the articles, stores, and, um, you know, for, for the, the bookmarklets and stuff. Um, now he 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 pays for that based on the um paid purchases of the Instapaper app um but i mean it it, it it's not direct the 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 number of purchases is not directly correlated with uh the amount of use of his 
of his service of his servers. Um, you know, if one person buys the app, you know, uh, for five dollars, uh, and they they use it for ten years, um, they're probably going to be uh, on net using more than five dollars worth of server <laughs> capacity. Um, so it it, it 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 and you can have something like uh, Netflix or Spotify building in uh, the ability to. Um, use the app with the actual service. So you, you don't have to get a separate Netflix service. You don't have to get a separate Hulu or Spotify or, or, or anything like this. It's just, you know, you, you rent Netflix as a, an entity and you're able to use whatever's within the app. I just think that, um, I mean, they're already experimenting with, uh, you know, subscriptions or, um, stuff, uh, on the iOS, um, with their uh, magazines and stuff. I just think it's, it's an interesting thing to consider, you know, how would, um, instead of paying for software one time, uh, how would it, um, change the economics of the situation to pay for it repeatedly or recurringly, I should say. (laughs) I think the other problem that we're running into is that we have a lot of examples that don't really narrow down into the specific fields like we've covered. We've covered utility apps. We've covered ser- utility apps with server-side components. Um, not not really explicitly, but there are, of course, utility apps with no server-side services. That it, it is the app. What you see, what you see is what you get. There's nothing else. Like the flashlight uh, powering apps. it. <laughs> That's actually a really good example. Who would who would pay for a subscription to a freaking flashlight app? That's, that's kind of what I was thinking. You get you get something like Angry Birds or a flashlight app or whatever, and even if you like it and you use it occasionally, it's such a tiny thing that any kind of a recurring fee would just... I wouldn't buy it. I, it it's not worth having a flashlight app if I have to pay for it every month. I'm, well, I'm again, you're, more you're, or less okay with paying 99 cents for a flashlight app, but I'm never going to do it again, I'll tell you that much. Well... What I'm saying, I'm not saying that every single app would be would be like this, uh, but you can. I think I'm hoping you can see how it might be beneficial for some kinds of apps. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The the, the problem, and therein lies the problem, is defining those and clarifying those. And doesn't does an app developer opt into that, or does Apple continue to curate it in and allow them to be a part of it? Um, either way you slice it, it's a lot of work for somebody and it, it's either, it's either a lot of work and murky results like, uh, Apple and the app store approval process, or it's a lot of idiots that jump in there because they see it as the ability to continue getting cash. Even if there's no good reason behind it, a businessman that wants to make money for the cause of supporting his app and his business, which inherently is not a bad thing, but when it's not really necessary, like there's no, there's not new content regularly added. There's no server side components. They just want to have a. They just want to be able to keep breaking in subscription dollars. Then you're going to get to the point where you have a lot of apps that, like Zynga style in-app purchases for buy twenty thousand coins for twenty dollars, and you can cheat your way to making the best words ever and hanging with friends. And it's you can't answer it definitively without explicitly narrowing down what is and isn't allowed and that in and of itself is terribly hard to do so i i think um you know earlier i was against or ambivalent about uh paid upgrades and i certainly think that um 
a, a subscription service is roughly equivalent to that, has similar advantages, has similar drawbacks. So uh, it, it was more or less a, a thought experiment, and um, it, would, it would be interesting to see if, if some of these apps come down the pike. Um, and I think that, you know, if, it, if, if we do have this option in the future, there will be kind of, you know, pe- uh, companies experimenting with uh, potential um, changes in, in how they're um, selling and providing the apps. So uh, I, I don't think that there's necessarily going to be a set solution or, you know, a, um, a rule that you can apply and say, well, these apps, well, these are obviously subscription apps. And then, well, these, you know, these are one-time purchase apps. And then these, you know, in-app purchases and paid upgrades or whatever. Uh, I think that, you know, it's it's a sort of a, a very fluid um, market um, that, that doesn't really have these these rules so precisely defined. I think the word you're looking for is organic. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Um, yeah, it's 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 one of those things where uh, there'll be push, there'll be pull, and it will continue evolving like the whole mobile world has over the past five years, and will continue to do so. Yeah. 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 All right. Is that when we? Is that? Is this how we wrap? I think so. Well, does anyone have any lasting words? I think we've lost Nathan. No. no. Oh, okay. He just didn't. He just didn't have any lasting words. <sighs> Apparently not. Uh, lasting words. Um, I, I I guess I'll just repeat the one. Eight a.m. bagpipes is not is not a a comfortable awakening. Uh, actually, I, I I will touch on one more thing. Um, we didn't mention the uh, the fact that. The San Francisco Apple Store is like gorgeous, and you know we we hear a lot about the is it a Fifth Avenue in New York, the one the one with the the big pure glass cube and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that's Fifth Avenue. Yeah, the the San Francisco one ain't half shabby either. Um, all of the Apple stores that I had been to prior to that were inside of a mall, so it's just a you know it's just a little cutout for their particular section. But the San Francisco Apple Store is, is a dedicated building for itself, and by comparison, it's huge. Um, it's easily twice as wide and also as tall. It was two floors than all of the the mall the mall stores that I had been in before. Um, their their fancy glass that they use for the stairway uh, that they clean. I, I was in there for maybe an hour and a half in total across two visits. And I saw the guy sweeping them at least two or three times. Um, and just, you know, won, won the, tra- won the parade to the foot traffic three to trash and good on them for, for being so adamant about it. But the other interesting thing is that since the stairwell was right in the middle, there was essentially, there would essentially be a huge gap for where the st- stairwell is upstairs, but they had this, uh, I guess I could really only phrase it as a uh, sky bridge where they just had this little plank of glass as a floor that lets you cross the stairwell, which allows people to still look straight up or look straight down, see everything that's going on instead of just having a floor that cuts off visibility. But there is just this thick sheet of glass that lets you cross uh, upstairs from one side of the stairwell gap to another. And when I saw that at first, I thought it was like, for the sake of getting things across, but not people across, for some reason it just invoked this, don't you dare step on that, it's going to be such a problem. 
Uh, but when I started seeing other customers and the geniuses walking back and forth on it, I, I kind of tentatively stepped on it to make sure. And then I walked across it to go from the genius bar over to all the, the accessories. Um, and it didn't like, it didn't vibrate. It didn't react. It didn't, it did not feel awkward in the slightest. Uh, and it was just a, <laughs> it was a well-engineered piece of glass. It was well-positioned. It was, it was supported. It was really, really nice. And did then, you, uh, did you try jumping up and down? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Taking no, a no, hammer no. to it. <laughs> um, they also had like a 30 seat theater style seating area, which they do, um, I think every Apple store that I know of does workshops, but these workshops are actually like full-fledged presentations. They have a a huge like, um, I don't know, maybe 50 or 60 inch screen in the wall that they were using to reflect either the the mirror, the iPad display, or uh, the iMac display, depending on what they were doing. Um, and they had like 30 to 40 theater seats around this area, very... I, I'm not even sure what the material was, but just very nice seats, a bunch of floor panels that you could flip up with outlets in them that you could use to recharge a device. Uh, it w- it was gorgeous. Like not for a place like San Francisco, meaning perhaps space starved. They threw I I, I don't even want to know how much money they threw into making that place gorgeous, spacious, comfortable. And uh, just better design than any other store I've been in before. Well, it's Apple for you. Yeah, I no compromise, and it was it was huge. More more stock there than on any other one I've seen. It was a very nice place, and uh, it'll be nice to go back. Yeah, there's actually there's um, if you map out the Apple stores, there's I think there's some in Palo Alto that's literally like two. There's like two that are like. 2000 feet apart or something crazy like that <laughs> um yeah it, it helps them split up the line for the releases i guess <laughs> i guess you know it's I like mean, well this is, this is this is tech central in this in the you know the west coast we're talking about here yeah um but i i just think that's incredible i mean the, i think the only other place that has that concentration of apple stores is manhattan <laughs> the other the other tech central the the east coast tech central nathan was your store um the the blog posts that you wrote up were both the Apple Store and the Microsoft Store detached from everything else. It's 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 an interesting mall that they're in. It's not really like a normal mall. It's kind of more sprawling where it's got parking it's lots. A, in the it's middle it's and a then, strip mall where everything everything is essentially outdoors. The stores are yeah, yeah the stores much. are conjoined, it's, it's, it's but they're few, all dedicated. It's got a few parts that are more like buildings, but it is mostly strip mall. Yeah, and they they are the Apple Store is like in the, the same building as a few other, probably four or five other stores. And the Microsoft store is probably in the same building as maybe two or three. So I, the, the, the main difference, the main difference being that you don't walk, you don't walk into a building and then into a store. All of no, the stores yeah, are they, conjoined. They, they just both walk are right on the parking the lot. Gotcha. Yeah. That that's all of the ones out here that I'm aware of, at least the two that I've actually been in, uh, Park Meadows Mall and Cherry Creek Mall, so you know, pretty traditional there. And this was, uh, this this was a, a nice detour. And like I said, just so spacious, completely packed. Uh, I, I, not not spacious in terms of actually being able to walk around without bumping into anybody, but as far as what they have there and how they presented it, very very nice and very spacious. 
Was there a problem actually, you know, getting to play with the uh, display models or anything like that? I did not touch a single display model. Um, but were there, were, like, if you wanted to, would it have been possible? Because w- it would have been, it would have been possible. I'm sure people, I'm sure the the uh, staff would have kind of shuffled people around and had the possibility at least exist. But the whole the the bottom floor. The bottom floor was all first-party devices. It was, uh, if I remember correctly, it was basically all of the desktops and laptops on the left and all of the phones, iPods, uh, all of the iOS on the right. And then upstairs was the the Genius Bar, the Presentation Lounge, like I was talking about, and all the third-party accessories, um, actually accessories in general, because the, uh, the smart cases, the smart covers were up there too. Um, downstairs, I, I didn't even walk around downstairs just because there were so many people down there. It was if I had wanted to play with it, it I would have been waiting at least a couple minutes. I'm sure, no doubt, and I'm sure they weren't like taking calling numbers or any nonsense like that. Right. But, well, uh, I, I it just would have taken time earlier. You had you had said oh, and no compromises. Um, and I think that you know if you're talking strictly in terms of the design aesthetic of the store, that's true. Um, but there are always compromises. So, um, you know. It, in order to achieve that sort of spacious look, they have to, you know, have fewer display models. Um, you know, they, they, I'm, I'm sure I, I don't know. I haven't been there, but I'm sure that they could probably could have, um, packed the tables twice as, you know, tightly and, you know, had maybe slightly more products on the tables, um, and had people actually able to use the stuff. Um, but I mean, it, it's all compromise, and so you you can see Apple's priorities. You know, they want they're sort of um, emphasizing um, form over function uh, in their stores, and sometimes in their products. <laughs> of course, from when we were talking about when the Apple stores got their last makeover, there was an iPad forever, forever iPad. There was a normal iPad to use and an iPad to. Uh, uh, advertise the features and the the difference in models just like all the laptops and everything else and one yeah. one i one ipad for every what five ipods or whatever like whatever oh yeah i, I spoke with um someone that uh, it, when i was standing in line for the ipad um <clears throat> my local apple store i, I asked someone i'm like yeah, are, are you going to be replacing the display models and they said probably yeah within the next few days they're all going to be the new uh third generation ipad with the retina display <laughs> For, and why not? That'll that'll let them do a lot more with their their ability to advertise. That'll make them be able to create. That, that will enable them to have a much more attractive advertisement, and that they'll they'll look. They'll be able to take all the graph the graphics and double them and make everything quite a bit easier on the eyes and better to look at. Oh no doubt. It's just I mean you compare it to Best Buy and they've got what. Um, Stuff that's printed on paper, stuck in plastic. I mean, my my Best Buy has a whiteboard in the uh, whenever whenever these releases come out. Uh, my Best Buy, my closest one, has a whiteboard that they marker in stock on, and then just gradually erase as a, as a particular customization a, a combination is sold out. It's actually smart. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they, they do whatever whatever they can that, that helps quite a bit instead of forcing people to track down, uh, you know, sending people to a computer or tying up a representative with somebody trying to look up stock. They just advertise it right in the front door, but with a, with a, with a whiteboard and a marker. I mean, why not? It's just, it's just funny by comparison. Yeah. All right. 
This has been the Ask Different Podcast. You can find our show in most podcast apps by searching for Ask Different Podcast. Our direct RSS link and show notes for this and all of our episodes are at apple.blogoverflow.com. You can reach us anywhere on Ask Different or at podcast at askdifferent.net. Thanks for listening.